Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town. Although, in that case, one earphone only. Safety kids. I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. What's up? What's happening? Welcome in Take Command Podcast. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. Ten years in the NFL for him. Five covering it. And now I host a daily radio show for me. Uh, you can catch that radio show on the Team 984 to 7, our new time slot, Monday through Friday. Also now streaming live on the brand new Team 980 YouTube page if you want to watch the show. Uh, Logan, we don't have a dancing producer here. I do on the radio. Nick is fantastic as a producer, uh, but he doesn't he doesn't come on camera and dance uh, very often. Anthony dances pretty much every rejoin song. Yeah, Anthony's got that kind of energy, though. You know, different yeah. strokes, different folks. So Yeah, yeah, which, you know, it's highly it's been highly entertaining for me since we started the show. Now we get to share that with everyone. <laughs> Um, also real quick housekeeping off the top, just a thanks, uh, our, like, this is not the time of year for a football podcast to necessarily flourish. It's, it's now April, I guess, when we get closer to the draft, but like the last couple of weeks, uh, kind of a bit of a dead time. And we just got some new data back on subscriber numbers and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, our podcast is growing a lot more than I think people anticipated for the time of year that it is. So I just want to say thanks to everyone who has subscribed. Thanks to everyone who continues to check us out and is sharing it. Obviously that helps us a lot. If you're saying, Hey, this is great. Like you should listen to this and how you get your friends to subscribe. So whether it's Apple podcasts, whether it's Spotify, uh, you can subscribe on the free Odyssey app watching us on YouTube. We really appreciate everyone continuing to support us and check it out. Uh, so thanks. Yeah. And with thanks. that, is that what that we, data that we got an email and like every time yeah. that email comes, I'm always like, what does this even mean? There's like no context. And everyone's like, this is good. And I'm like, I don't know if this is good or not. It's like, could be in a different language. So thanks for some context, <laughs> Craig. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Logan, we're doing great. <laughs> and and as a reward uh, for all of our faithful listeners, we're going to answer their questions today. Yes, Actually, that, there was, we go. that was the plan anyway, but uh, it is nice to be able to interact with you guys. Maybe we'll do another live show at some point too. That was fun. We did that uh, back during the season, but uh, for now, we we solicited questions on Twitter, on Instagram. We'll go full mailbag Monday for the full 45 minutes today. And Logan, we're going to start with a, kind of a fun one. This one from Benjamin. Uh, this was the last question in, the last one that made the cut, but first off the table here. How does Logan measure outliers in the draft? Guys that don't fit in traditional boxes, but if their skills translate, are potential pro bowlers. Guys like Tank Dell, Dewan Jones, etc. They performed well versus the best competition they face, but how do you project outliers? Yeah, outliers are always tough, and I'm glad that he brought up those two outliers because I think they're both kind of the better end of what you'd find from an outlier. So let's start with Tank Dell. 
Tank Dell is like 155 pounds. He ran like a 4.5, so not great in terms of like vertical horsepower, but his 10, I think, was the best of the combine. So that short area quickness is off the charts. Um, and then obviously you see him at the Senior Bowl against kind of that top-level competition, and he's basically uncoverable. Obviously there are some concerns when a small guy does not run fast and, uh, you know, small guys historically in the, in the NFL have not done well. However, when you compare him to other small guys, so let's take Tutu Atwell. He's another guy that's been very small, was drafted in the second round, I want to say, by um, L.A. a couple years ago. Um, mm. How do those guys compare? Because Tutu Atwell has not done anything in his career. And he was kind of a fast, small guy, kind of this hyper-quick guy, um, or even like uh, Trayvon Austin, you know, back a couple years ago. Like, you compare him to those guys, you go back and watch film. And one thing I will say about Tank Dell is his route-running acumen is significantly better than those guys. So, you know, the the question said, you know, you know, they could be a Pro Bowl level talent. I don't know if I'd go as far as Pro Bowl because, like, where does he fit in your offense? Is he a true Z? No, he's probably too small. Is he a true X? No, he's too small. He's probably your F kind of Cooper Cup move piece. And if he goes to an offense that can maximize that skill set in terms of a guy who runs excellent routes with tremendous savvy, I think – then you are kind of talking about Pro Bowl. But he's not like this guy that is scheme agnostic, if that makes sense. He can't go to any scheme and be successful. You need to kind of have the right situation for him. Like if he came here to Washington last year and they said, hey, you're going to be Z, like you wouldn't even know who he was probably because like the offense just is is geared towards a certain type of receiver. But if he goes to L.A. and plays that slot role, they bump Cooper Cup outside or whatever they choose to do, then all of a sudden you're going to have a very dynamic group. So, you know, I talked to some people, some of my buddies around the NFL recently about him. So it's very fitting that this question comes up. And they were very, very high on him. You know, a lot of them had them had him as like the number one receiver after kind of that first wave of guys, you know. Um, and some even had him higher, like as the number two receiver overall in the draft. So there are yeah. obviously people who really like his skill set. But I think with regards to him specifically – it's because he's so polished with his routes. So like he's not just small and quick and super fast. It's like he's a technician at the highest level. So that's to me the thing that separates him from the recent kind of run of small receivers who maybe haven't done very well in the NFL. Yeah. Um, I think the NFL does better with these guys now. True. Some coaches, some schemes, some some places do better with these guys now than they did a decade ago, certainly two, three decades ago. If you have a guy that's super fast, super quick, and catches the ball well enough, like figure out how to get the ball in his hands. You know, imagine what like Percy Harvin would have been if he had had Sean McVay, right, or Kyle or San, Shanahan. Santana Moss is another great example. Santana, oh my God, we I, Santana and I have talked about this. I'm sure you've talked about it with Tana. I think we might have even had talked about it on the show. Yeah. Um, you know, but I've talked about it with Tana multiple times. Like Santana Moss got to the NFL ten years too early, correct? Um, and his career extended a couple of years because Kyle got a hold of him late and put him in the slot. And it used to be like kind of a, a a demotion to be in the slot. Like you weren't good enough to play outside, and Santana was good enough to play outside, so he played outside his whole career uh, until the very end. Well, he would have been. 120 catch guy in the slot potentially like he was that good and and they would have figured out the way or ways to get the ball into his hands and let him be that dynamic like punt returner type because Santana had it all um he's absolutely a prime example of that and I that that's I agree with you on that front for a receiver skill position guys in particular like the idea of having a package for an extremely special player is no longer not worth it. It was right. like, well, what are we going to do? Give, you know, 10 plays a game. It's like, yeah, because 
any one of those 10 could change the complexity of the game entirely. He can score from anywhere. Scoring is the point of offense. Bro. And so I do think that the NFL now does a lot better job. But I think the the hard part is like putting the value on that, yeah. which is like how like, is that worth a second? Is that worth a first? Is that worth a third? Like, what's it worth? And I think for a guy like Dell, like you're talking about, if he's that polished as a route runner, it's a lot easier to take him a lot higher Correct. because you're not you're not limited to just that package of plays, basically. Yeah, he's mitigating the risk for you of being an outlier. And so it's important to kind of note, like we're talking, we're making a comp to Santana Moss. Santana's 5'10", like 195 pounds. That's a small receiver. Tank Dell's 5'8", 165 pounds. Yeah, he's listed 5'8", 165. He is small. He's a small human. And he's very quick. And I, I do think that there's this like, yes, the, L, the NFL can tolerate smaller players better now. 1000% agree with that. But he is like, he's the one of one outlier. There's not like you can go through the NFL history and you're going to, it's going to be, you're going to be very hard pressed to find a guy that's that small. So it's like, how does the quarterback see you? How does, how do you handle press? How do you hand, handle some of the physical elements of the game? And so those are the questions that'll kind of be there with him all the time. But with regards to, um, you know, like, again, kind of why you feel better about him compared to other people that, that kind of are of a similar mold, um, it's because he is, he's extremely, he's like, you know, kind of that YouTube, Instagram, seven on seven guy who can crush you. If you watch his one-on-ones from the senior bowls, like dudes who are good at press don't even touch him. Like that's how quick he is off the line. That's how quick he is off his release. That's how good he is with his stem. And I understand that the one-on-ones are geared to the offensive player, but I watch plenty of one-on-ones where the defensive guy wins definitively, right? And so to not even touch this player is very unique. So I I think that Tank Dell is – that's how I kind of weigh that. I kind of say, how how much of an outlier are you? And then do you have anything elite about your game? So, like, obviously if Tank Dell came out and ran a 4-3, you'd be like, okay, well, like he's elite speed, right? With him it's a little bit more challenging because his elite thing is his 10 – and his other elite trait is his route running, which is all on film. And he's super productive. So I like Tank Dell a lot. I think he's a good football player. I think he's got to go to the right team and the right fit. Would I take a second round pick on him? Absolutely. You know, second, probably third round is the range I, I would see him going. Would he slide to the, the fourth? Maybe. But I think you're, you're getting an excellent football player if he does take a slide like that for whatever yeah. reason. And I think for Washington, like at that point, he's worth it. Probably not worth it. You have bigger needs, but like if he's there in the fourth, you're like, this dude's awesome. Like yeah. he's your Curtis Samuel replacement in the long term. Yeah, and um, maybe even better. And then, you know, like he mentioned DeWan Jones, and I think we should talk about yeah. DeWan. Yeah, I have, DeJuan I have is... one more I want to ask you about too. Well, let's go Jones first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's go Jones. So DeWan is. He's, he's he's easier to kind of work around, right? Because, like, there are precedents. You know, like uh, Daniel Falele from uh, Minnesota last year was 6'8". I think he was 385. And so here you get Dewan Jones, who's 6'8". He's 385. And you're like, well, how do they compare to each other? Here's a one-to-one. And so, you know, uh, Daniel Falele was a fourth-round pick, went to Baltimore, started some games last year, played right and left tackle, was very productive. I kind of wish Washington would have drafted him here. He's not a plus athlete, but he's a good athlete for his size, obviously. And then you say, Dewan Jones, how does he compare? And Dewan Jones literally literally crushes every single one of Daniel Falele's physical measurements. Okay? And on top of that, the production at Ohio State is way better. And on top of that, the production at the Senior Bowl is way better. The, how he utilizes his length, his play strength, the intensity, his bend, all of those things are way better. And so you say to yourself, like, is he a guy that can play at the next level? Like, how does he compare to, like, maybe the biggest dude in the NFL, Trent Brown? 
He's not the athlete Trent Brown is. Who's the guy that they drafted out of Louisville? That just drafted out of Louisville a couple years ago. Uh, Makai Becton. Makai Becton. He's not that kind of athlete, but he covers up his maybe deficient athleticism with the use of his length and the use of his power, which is stuff that those guys have. So to me, the this the the path for a guy like DeWan Jones, the NFL compared to Tank Dell, is much straighter because you see him in pass protection being absolutely dominant at times. Does he have some deficient movement skills? Yes, but could he play in an outside zone scheme? I think so. Like you watch some of the stuff he does at Ohio State. He's like pulling into space. He's getting his hands on guys. And the thing is he plays with such power. He kind of reminds me of like Ty Inseki. Like Ty Inseki was just a massive human. And if he just put his hand on you, like linebackers, defensive linemen, they just couldn't figure out how to handle that length and size and strength. So I think personally, like he's probably my – fifth or sixth offensive lineman like and a little bit of it's because he's got a lot of upside I think he's sliding at the moment on draft boards because he didn't do anything at his pro day like he didn't work out Paris Johnson works out he's going to be the second guy taken probably why aren't you working out so I think that like kind of the the perception of it but when you talk to guys around the league like I talked to again some of my online buddies they're like he's not my type of guy because he's so damn big but when you watch his film you like it like he just is he consistently wins pass rush reps he's physical he finishes plays, like all those things that kind of bug you about big players, like being lazy or whatever it is, like doesn't show up for him. And when you see him in person, which I was able to see him with the combine, he's not like a big fat guy. He's just a big guy, just a huge yeah. man. And so the conditioning concerns aren't there with him. Again, the foot speed stuff's a little bit of concern, but you see him with the, like his arms are the longest ever measured at the combine. And he uses that length really well. And I had a guy that I respect emphatically tell me, with an offensive lineman, if the foot speed isn't there, is the length there? And with DeWan Jones, the length is 100% there. So to me, the the path for DeWan is like, he'll start for a team this year. He's He is in that group of guys this year who's a starting caliber right tackle. And he could probably play left in certain systems. Like here, he could probably play left. So it's like, yeah, why not? And so he's going to slide a little bit. People are going to have different opinions on him because of he did one day at the Senior Bowl. He um, didn't do his pro day. People are going to be like, why is he not competitive? Whatever, whatever, whatever. But um, there's also, this is another thing just kind of came to me at the moment. Some people aren't sure how much he loves football because he was a basketball player first. So like he kind of fell into football. Does he love it? Those things are concerning, but from a physical film production standpoint, like he's an outstanding football player. And the production is way less challenging than for a guy like Tank Dell. So, the opposite side of the spectrum of Tank Dell, a guy who's kind of an athletic freak but doesn't have the size, is a guy like Brian Branch, who's just doesn't fit in a position necessarily right. and didn't quite test as well as the film might suggest. What do you do with a guy like Branch? And obviously we have the Kyle Hamilton example from last year. But this is a guy that earlier in the process, like we were talking about the commanders potentially taking at 16, and now most mock drafts I see have him falling into the second round. Yeah, and I think that's a tough thing about, like, again, it's kind of a scheme fit thing. Like, his film is outstanding. This film is amazing. Like, he's a good football player. He reminds me of uh, Petrie out of Baylor from last year, a guy who's good at the line of scrimmage. He probably has better coverage ability than Petrie. Uh, you know, like the guys at PFF, for example, they think he could be a number one corner outside. I don't see that. But obviously, when you have that level level of coverage ability, like, you can play in this style. Like, their comp at PFF is Derwin James. I think that's a little bit rich for me because Derwin yeah, James Derwin's is an elite athlete. athlete, right? And so you got to kind of, again, as much as you want to say the film, the film, the film, the film, 
you have to weigh the physical characteristics a little bit, right? And so is he very productive in college? Yes. Was, was, was Petrie um, productive in college? Yes. Petrie's a second round pick. Doesn't mean he's a bad football player, right? It just doesn't translate quite the same way. So um, there are some concerns about what he can do. Like one of the things about Derwin is because he's such a physical freak, you say we can literally line him up every anywhere on the field. He can play linebacker. He can play safety. In certain down and distance, they play corner. He can match up with the number one corner. Branch's film says he can do that. But from a physical standpoint, as a coach, I don't want to put him in a position where he can't do that. And there's a reason teams have physical thresholds for positions, right? I was talking to my, one of my tight end coaches from Chicago recently, and he was like, Logan, you're, you and Lee Smith are the only two tight ends who are like kind of red athletes, which is a bad athlete, that have played longer, that have played to a second contract in the last 20 years of the NFL. So there's a reason that they have these physical. Are you proud of that? I am proud of it, but it's also kind of embarrassing. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I am very proud that I was the one who was able to, or one of two guys to get it done. But it's also like, man, like I was off. This is a little aside here. I was off a lot of people's boards because I ran so slow and because I couldn't jump. Very what high. was your 40 time? I think it was a four, eight, four, eight, five, four, eight, nine, something like that. So, you know, four, nine basically. And then I jumped like 28, 29 inches. Like my broad was probably sub nine maybe you know maybe it's like nine six how many of those numbers could you beat today i probably could beat all i was thinking about it i probably could beat all of them now because i don't know i've just trained differently i don't know anyway we're getting way off topic here that's that's a that's a train it's a mailbag episode i feel like that's more fun than than the questions we're answering so i mean okay yes i do think i could beat all of those metrics now being 36 years old because i sprint more i jump more and when i was playing i didn't do that quite as much so Whatever. Anyway, so you don't so, you don't like your chances against the defensive end as much, but you could beat yourself in the forty. Correct. Right. Absolutely. Got it. Right. And Got so, it. Um, so basically, like you have those those physical metrics based on combine data for a reason, right? There's the reason a lot of corners don't run four five plus. Like it's just you don't have the speed to compete with bigger wide receivers, right? And so I think that that's something with with Branch that's really going to affect him is because like he just doesn't meet some of the elite physical thresholds of the position. And that's not, that doesn't mean he's a bad football player. It just means well, you can't do That's the do thing with Branch though, is like, what position is he? Right. Like, what are we evaluating him as? And if it's an outside corner, then yeah, you're not even close on the physical right. profile. If it's a safety, you're a lot closer. If it's a linebacker, you're pretty elite. Right. Yeah. But he's not, that's a thing. It's not like, um, it's not like Cam Chancellor, for example, right? Who was six three two? I think he was two thirty coming out and ran like a four, six. I want to say, don't quote yeah. me on that. But, right. um, but like you were like, okay, because he's so big, he, there's a lot of flexibility there for him in terms of what he can do. Branch is like, I want to say he's like six foot 195. Yeah, yeah. 190, he's not a big man. Like Cam Curl is bigger than him, you know? And Cam Curl is like not a huge safety by any stretch of the imagination. So he's a kind of a slight build guy who didn't run the way you thought he was going to run. He's very similar to Petrie. Like they're very yeah. similar. And I think that's that, it. Go All right, go ahead. No, no. And so, so I think that, that like, Again, like I like his film a lot, but there are there are reasons these physical thresholds are in place, basically. So Petrie last year, 147 tackles, uh, had a sack, had five picks. Yeah. Like I think most Commanders fans would take that. What was the last dude that was here that had five picks? Right. It doesn't feel like they've had five picks in a season as a team the last couple of years. Right. Um, they have, I'm sure, but it doesn't it sure doesn't feel like it. 
Right. And so it's, but it's just about where the value is for the position. Right. And right. I think everyone thinks that as I'm moving up in the draft, I'm getting a better football player. I think there's an element of truth to that, obviously, but there's also an element of security. And what I mean by that yeah. is that I, I want a guy that I know is going to be good. And so, you know, when we did our mock draft, we talked about how Deontay Banks was going to be like the guy we'd pick. And a little bit of it is because I just feel better about his athletic profile than Joey Porter Jr. Like, and I just feel more secure. I want that 16th pick to hit, right? And if I, right. and if I, and if I'm worried I'm going to miss on greatness, like let's say, for example, like um, Trent Williams versus the guy that was coming out of his same year from Oklahoma State. I don't remember his name. Uh, the guy who did the Bitcoin thing. Um, he got his whole salary paid in Bitcoin. Do you remember this guy? Gosh, doesn't matter. Uh, uh, it's like that. Look it up. Anyway, so if you those, those guys had basically the exact same grade by a lot of teams, but Trent had the bigger upside, and so you go with the guy with the bigger upside if they're even. But if they're not even, then you go with the, the sure thing. I think, and so that's kind of what I would say about Branch is that is he is he the sure thing everyone thought he was going to be at a position in safety that is not very valuable. And if you look at this year's draft, like there won't be a safety if he's not the guy selected in the first round. So I think that's important for people to kind of keep in mind too. Like in the same way you see tight ends and running backs and linebackers getting pushed down the board a little bit, safeties are the same way because you can kind of find value at that position. I don't want to say anywhere, but much more readily than other spots. Russell Okun, Nick, yeah, thank you. Jeez, yeah, Russell Okun, Trent Williams. There we go. There you go. Russell Okun went sixth in that draft to Seattle. Um, what a draft. You got Sam yeah. Bradford, Indomitian Sue, Gerald McCoy, Trent Williams, Eric Berry, who was so good for not yeah. very long. Uh, Okun, Joe Hayden. Had some, uh, some good players. Some, some Top 10 in that draft. Yeah. Brandon yeah. Graham uh, was in that draft. Some guys, a lot of guys still playing, which, I mean, yeah. I guess it's, it's 2023. But it's also like you got a bunch of guys like Devin McCourty just retired, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and then you got guys that have been gone for like seven years. <laughs> oh, cool. That's how the NFL works, right? Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. And the next question actually goes right off the back of where you just ended about positions that are kind of dropping on the board. 
Tim asks, why are linebackers devalued? I understand they're relying on line play, but they have to make the most tackles. And then someone followed up on that 12th man who listens to the, the Hoffman show every day on the team. 980. Appreciate you for doing that. Always tweeting the show. Uh, says uh, about the linebackers. The crazy thing is both Rivera and JDR are former linebackers and Rivera built the Panthers around Luke Keekley. Rivera has devalued relative to other position groups, linebackers, O-line, corners, tight ends, and punt returner, kick returner, and missed on quarterbacks. So turns into a little bit of a shot at Rivera there. But uh, the first part of that I think is interesting because like Keekley obviously was tremendously important to what they built in Carolina on that side of the ball. So it, to me, it's like, the same thing with running back and and linebacker. These are positions that are incredibly involved in the game. Like running back, he's going to get the ball 15 to 30 times a game, depending on who it is and what scheme and, and how you play and all that kind of stuff. It seems like that guy should be really important. Your linebacker leads the team in tackles if you're doing it right. Um, and, and also is the one who calls your defense and communicates everything. So, uh, there is a little bit of a mental hurdle for me talking about these positions being devalued to the level that they are. However, it's, I guess it really comes from what I understand and, and the way I think about it, it comes down to value. Like how hard is it to find a really good one? How hard is it to find an elite one? How hard is it to find like a passable one? And then what is ultimately the difference in wins and losses between having those three level of players and the the answer is not much. Like if you have an right. elite running back versus a a good enough running back, you're not going to win that many more football games as opposed to having difference makers at at edge, at corner, at pass rush or at a at quarterback obviously. And and to me like that's that's how I would answer that question, but how would you answer it? I mean, we could probably do a whole show on this, quite honestly. You know, just talking about the way the league's going. And it's I think Nick write it down for June. I think the easiest one to, to kind of look at is running back. And so keep in mind, we're talking about linebacker. We're going to start with running back. Okay. So running backs, it's a, a serviceable running back can look excellent behind an average offensive line. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite football players I ever played with in Alfred Morris. Okay. So Alfred Morris was one of the most productive running backs his first three years in the NFL. Okay. A lot of that was scheme driven. A lot of that was offensive line driven. A lot of that was quarterback driven. If Alfred Morris had gone to a different scheme, he would definitely not have been as productive. He might not have even been the starter in a different system, right? He just happened to kind of strike lightning. His running style fit really well. He was a very good football player, but he was also a six-round draft pick, right? They didn't have a lot of equity, you know, draft equity invested in Alfred. And I think that's a good thing for people to remember is that because of the system, you can elevate a running back, right? And so with regards to, um, running back, obviously, like people say, oh, B. John Robinson's the guy, but historically, it's more predicated on offensive line production and it's more predict uh, predicated on scheme. So, if I, why am I going to waste a first round draft pick on B. John Robinson when I can get a guy in the third round, like his backup? Um, I forget his name at the moment, but the backup running back in Texas, who, if he goes to the right system, if he goes to the right place, could be just as productive in terms of yards per carry. Now, B. John's a freak because he catches the football well. He does all this stuff really well at a high level. He's very unique. Um, so this is maybe a little bit hard around that conversation, but it's so scheme-driven. It's so offense-dependent. And running back by committee now is kind of prevalent throughout the NFL, right? So that guy's not even on the field all the time. And so obviously Bijan might be the exception to this rule. But linebacker is very, very similar. And basically what I've, you know, when you do studies of linebacker play, linebacker has become so hard to play 
it doesn't matter how good you are. It it's just hard to play linebacker in the NFL. So you, it's going to be bad, kind of regardless. Does that make sense? What I'm saying. So why am I going to invest this big draft capital in this position that you need a Luke Keekley to be to, to be successful at? And I, I, you know, everyone makes comparisons to Luke Keekley. I hate to break it to the listener base. He is a Hall of Fame linebacker. He's the best linebacker in the NFL in the last 20 years, Craig. I don't know how long. Like, he's an exceptional football player. I mean, who's the last guy who was that good? Like, like besides I him, I can't think of it. I can't think of it. I can't. Anymore, like, right? his <clears throat> of the modern era. Recognition. Of the modern era. Yeah. His play recognition, his speed, his, the the tackling ability, his ability in coverage, like he was an A plus at literally everything you could right. possibly be as a linebacker. And everyone says, "Oh, what about like Ray Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher? Those guys played in an era where you were seeing sixty five percent run frequency, so you had to just be a really good tackler and very physical. Now these guys have to be kind of of two physical profiles." They have to be able to run with a third receiver in trips. They have to be able to fit a run. They have to be able to take on a guard. They have to be able to tackle, play man-to-man on a linebacker in space, right? And there just aren't – it's kind of like quarterback in a weird way. There just aren't enough guys with that physical skill set to be like, this is the guy we need. This is who – this is going to elevate our defense. And, like, obviously good linebacker play elevates your defense, but it's just too challenging to find that guy, a guy that – a, we just talked about how hard it is to play linebacker, but B is also directly affected by the guys that play in front of him and the guys that play behind him. So why do I invest a ton of money, invest a ton of capital in a position that is that is so is so hard to find and so hard to it is so dependent on other variables within the defense? And so that's what I would say. It's like they're the best one right now is Fred Warner. He's like a second or third round pick out of Utah, right? And he was an overhang Will, who was basically like the nickel player in college, got a little bit bigger, has the instincts of a safety, has the physicality of a linebacker, and you get this perfect kind of specimen of the modern linebacker. Bobby Wagner, same thing, was the overhang player at Utah State. So you're looking for like a plus athlete who is also crazy physical. And just when you go through – and also crazy smart. And so when you go through the evaluations every single year – you're like, there's maybe one guy in this whole class who could get that done. And this year, there's maybe two. And then you say, well, what's more important? The, the phys- Then you kind of say, it's like, it's like tied into this way. The athletic profile becomes more and more important. And so you kind of start looking around and saying, okay, here's this defensive end who's a little bit undersized, but he ran a 4-4 and is good in space and drop coverage. Can he play linebacker? Here's this big safety who's good in zone coverage, can match up against a tight end. Can he be physical enough? And so it becomes not about the position that you played in college, but more about the athletic profile and can you physically get some of that stuff done? So why haven't some of the guys who we thought could do that, like a Devin White, top five prospect a couple of years ago on a lot of people's boards. I can't remember what he actually went in the draft, right. um, but like he was a guy that, you know, kind of like Bijan where it's like, okay, he's a top five player in the draft, even in positional value. He's going to get drafted later. He was certainly top 10 on most draft boards, right? Coming sure. out of LSU. Everyone's like, this guy's the truth. He's smart. He's physical. Like he's fast as hell. I think he ran like a four, four, three or something. Yeah. Why had, why doesn't it work for someone like him? Cause like, if you get that guy, I think, I think what, what, fans would would push back on if i'm anticipating the rebuttal is like okay well what if you get it right 
Like if you're right. Ron Rivera, former linebacker, and you're Jack Del Rio, former linebacker, and you get the right guy and you coach him up, like couldn't that take your defense to a whole new level? And isn't at that point it worth it? So like why why hasn't it worked for the guys that that we think that it should work for? And and what you know, like how how do you respond to that kind of like, well, if it works, is it worth it kind of argument? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And so when you look at let's Devin White's a great example. So Devin White never fits runs correctly. And it's not Devin White's fault. In college, you get these spread offenses, right? You have one gap, you fit your gap, you run and hit, they cover you up, and you've got better defensive linemen than they have offensive linemen, you make a ton of plays. Devin White essentially does the same thing here, but because of how varied and nuanced and complicated NFL run schemes are, you need to have a brilliant mind back there playing. Because the second, let's say I'm playing Will Linebacker, for example, the second the backside guard pulls, right? So I'm on the right side of the offensive formation. The backside guard pulls. I need to know now that I am no longer fitting the backside A-gap. I am now fitting the frontside A-gap just because the guard pulls. Oh, wait. Now they brought a tight end in motion to kick out the Sam, so they've added two gaps to the front side of the run. So now I'm not fitting the front side A gap. I'm fitting the front the, the front side B gap. And the safety is now going to fit the front side A gap, right? And that's just because of a motion, which happens immediately on the snap, right? So that's run fits, which are kind of the easiest part of playing linebacker in the NFL are run fits. And now because of schemes, because of Kyle Shanahan, because of Green Bay, because of all these different these schematic innovations. It just becomes harder and harder to do that, right? I'm playing Will Linebacker. I get a reverse action to me on runaway. I am technically the contained player. I have to sit with the reverse while also fitting backside A. Like, I'm every single play, that level of the defense is put in this colossal bind, right? So that's why I say schematically, how do you elevate that guy? Let's take the reverse example for just as an example, right? Instead of rotating the strong safety down towards the tight end, we rotate him weak. So now the now the backside linebacker just has to fit backside A. Strong safety has contained, right? So schematically, like, why do I need to hunt and peck for this elite, elite kind of one-of-one one type guy when if I just find a scheme that works a little bit better in terms of insulating my linebackers, we're okay. So Devin White, and let's go back to him, for example. So we talked about the, the need to fit runs, which he has a hard time with. Now you need to cover. And one of the things about him is they don't make him cover. They make him blitz a lot. Not because he's a great blitzer, which he is, but because they don't trust him in coverage. So it's just like this thing where it's like Levante David, I think, is a really good example. He's a guy that's grown up, matured at the position, had time on task, reps in the defense, and knows how to cover, knows how to blitz, knows how to fit runs. He's smart. He's seen a whole bunch of pictures. And how do you know Levante David's going to be that guy? And I wish I had an answer for you. I don't have an answer because it's so that position in the NFL right now is so damn hard to play. And you need an elite athlete, you need a smart guy, you need an, an instinctive football player. And that's something that when you watch these guys on film, you're like athletically can do it. Take, take this example, the guy from uh, Clemson, I forget his name at the moment, the linebacker from Clemson, who's basically like cornerback athletic, like he is ridiculously athletic and he's physical. He hits, I, you like his film. But he, I don't know if he can do it. At Talking the about NFL uh, Trenton level. Simpson. Trenton Simpson. I don't know if he can do it at the NFL. And people say, why, Logan? He just checked all these boxes for you. He's not very instinctive. So it, the run will be happening in front of him. He'll be sitting looking. And he can overcome some of that because he's a tremendous athlete. But it, it doesn't click the way you want it to. So then you compare that to Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell, again, one of the most instinctive players in the class. Excellent tackler. Physical at defeating blocks. 
understands and has a great feel for the position, but is never in coverage in that defense. It's hard to find someone who can do all three. And at the NFL level, you got to do all three. So let's bring it all back to kind of Jamin Davis, right? And everyone wants to get mad at Jamin Davis. He has improved in terms of his recognition. He, I think he can still get better in that area. Physically taking on blocks, improved as a tackler, and improved as a coverage player. And when you look back at the top guys selected in the, his draft, he's one of the best in that class. And it's not because Jamin is like this, he's playing really well right now. It's because it's just so hard to get a linebacker. So I know I've kind of ranted about this, but is, am I, am I, have I landed this plane, Craig? Does it make sense, or are we just still in the ether in terms of confusing linebacker talk? I mean, I I hear what you're saying. I to me, it just sounds like the position is really hard to play. So why try? It's not um, even why. Bit. Yeah, like, I get what you're saying. It's like not why try, but why am I going to? So let's. This is good. I'm glad you brought this up. So offensive line, easy evaluation. Defensive line, easy evaluation. High value positions that are easy to evaluate. That's why you see them get bumped up draft boards. Linebacker, hard evaluation, hard to kind of predict how they transfer becomes less of a less less um less of a sure thing right and so that's why they get pushed down because mm. the risk of of missing is much much higher and so why am i going to mortgage a first round pick on somebody that i'm not that confident it's going to make it right when i can find someone else in the later rounds who again fits a better athletic profile it's kind of like tight end in this way like where you know we were talking about how athletic traits at the tight end position um, project to better tight end play, right? right? At the NFL level, linebackers kind of the same way. Length, speed, like how they play in space, those metrics translate a little bit better to the NFL level. Right, and, and I guess the then the compounding part of that is if you spend that first round pick on a defensive lineman, which is an easier evaluation as well, that guy can make anybody playing behind him better so like right. you are reliant on other it's a position that's more reliant than a lot of others on what's happening around them like running back yeah like running back and then what you just said as well where the evaluation is incredibly difficult and you would like to be confident that whoever you're taking with the higher mortgage or the higher mortgage payment if you will uh that higher pick is someone who's actually going to be good right um and it's, that not makes that sense. it's not that they're bad that college sense. players like yeah, it's just like so. Jack, Campbell, or that they will be bad pros, or they're right. not worth it and going to help you win. It's just it's a it's a giant crapshoot. And why would you want to take your biggest piece of investment, uh, you know, capital and use it on something that's a crapshoot? Right, and I think like that's the thing about like Jack Campbell because you know we're talking draft. Like I love Jack Campbell, and of the guys in this class, he's the guy that you feel most confident about him transitioning because he's got a feel for the position. And I think that's the thing that's hard, like with Devin White, is he doesn't have that feel. Jamin didn't have that feel for the position. Now, is he the best in coverage? No. Can you live with that? Can you find a way to schematically manage that? Yes. And so you say, okay. And because he's got that it factor, that je ne sais quoi for that linebacker spot, I think you that like that almost becomes more important in some ways than that hyper freaky athlete. You just need a guy who gets it. And that's really hard to tell in college because of how offenses are so spread out now and NFL offenses are kind of like the opposite. So just a thought there. And again, like I think yeah. they linebacker drafting would be excellent. It just, again, and that's the other thing about linebacker in college. There's not a lot of linebackers, like true linebackers, you know, right. they're all kind of like these big safeties. They're rushing on third down. 
you don't get guys who are just in that spot kind of getting data every single time about what the front looks like, calling defenses like we were talking about. It just it's, it's become a really tough position to kind of get from college to the NFL. Got it. Uh, in short, on the value piece, uh, don't don't gamble your mortgage money. Correct. Uh, you know, Unmissed. gamble your gambling money. That's yes. that's later on picks. Mortgage your mortgage money. Gamble your gambling money. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. This one also from Tim, but I liked it a lot. So, Tim, congrats. You get a double uh, today. Third quarterback, or in my humble opinion, third quarterback should always be a second read is run or improvised quarterback because there's no time to fully coach that guy. Someone like Dorian Thompson Robinson in this draft fits that bill. Do you agree or do you think they'd want to run the offense or the same offense across quarterbacks? Do you want to take it, Craig, or do you want me to take it? Um, I'll, I'll start, uh, and try to be quick and then you can be quick and then we'll keep it moving because that's what we're doing here. All right. Uh, I think that's like from a large team building perspective, I, I don't disagree that that is a very good option. If you had someone that was a good quarterback who could operate the full offense, that guy's probably not a third quarterback. So in terms of like, Hey, if our season goes down the toilet, uh, and we're all of a sudden on our third quarterback and we need this guy to win again, or even like our season's not out down the toilet. We just got really unlucky and our top two quarterbacks are out for one week. Like, yeah, that guy with the high variance is going to give you a lot better chance. Um, and if it's a rookie, it's a rookie. If it's a vet, it's a vet. It's why Josh Johnson is everyone's favorite third quarterback. So I, I would agree with that in terms of the third quarterback. I don't have a, a profile like you do on Dorian Thompson Robinson. Right. Um, but I think in terms of the very specific narrow thoughts about a third quarterback and the value to their football team, I would say first you want like a guy who's good in the meeting room and, and all that kind of stuff can give your scout team a good look. But if he's got to play, then yeah, like a guy who's got some mobility and some variance to his game is, is probably your best bet if you wind up there. And he's, is, he's, is he kind of insinuating that there's a that, – that you would What's like, Do you like want a, Dorian Thompson Robinson or do you want Jake Fromm? Right. So I don't know. I, I think – I think if I have a third quarterback, I want him to run the offense that I have. And that's not because I think that's the best for the quarterback position. I think that's just best for the rest of the team, right? So, like, for example, I know he's saying, like, scramble and run and all this stuff. Like, you've invested all this time and all these resources accruing great skill position players. I want someone who can get them the football. I don't want the quarterback, even if they're very, very talented, running unless they're elite you know, like I want them to be able to buy time and do some things, but they need to be able to execute the offense. And I think that's where a lot of fans get a little like they get over their skis here because, oh, we get this tremendous athlete. He's a third guy. How many times have you seen a third guy come in and it just looks like total like everything's on fire? You know, like yeah. it just looks like the world well, is on I, fire. I think, yeah, I think that's the nature of being a third quarterback. Though. Right. And that's Tim's point and, and to a point that I agree with. If that if the guy that's your third was good at executing the offense, he's not your third. 
Like by nature, one, he's never practicing. And two, he's probably not that good. So like you're going to, sure, okay, cool. Jake Fromm can do stuff on time. But every eighth throw, if you're asking him to drop back and run your offense, is going to get picked off because he's not that good. Right. So I think if I'm picking a third, and this is maybe, again, I want someone who can run the offense. I want them to be able to kind of learn and digest. And is it going to be perfect? No. But I want someone who's a little bit of a lottery pick little bit of a lottery pick right mm-hmm. so someone that i think given the, given being in the offense for a year can develop into something more right so dorian thompson robinson kind of fits that mold right he, he's got some mobility a right. little inaccurate played a lot of football at ucla he's like 25 years old something like that he had the highest ball velocity at the combine like all those types of things get people excited right and he's good he's a good football player right is he going to develop into something more he does fit that mold, not because he's a mobile guy, because I also think like Tanner McKee, if you were to draft Tanner McKee here, because of the arm strength upside, could become something more than your third guy. In some systems, he might even be your two. I want good quarterbacks here. So I don't want to be taking a flyer sure. on somebody like the uh, Cunningham from Louisville. Like I know a lot of fans like him because he can run around. He's a good athlete. I just yeah. don't know if he's ever going to be even – a third string guy. Like, I don't know if he has the, it just seems like the road is really long for him, but I'm not just taking good athletes. I'm taking guys with traits that I think are going to develop into something special. So that to me is for the, is is my criteria for the third guy. So does Dorian Thompson Robinson fit that? Absolutely. But also, so does Tanner McKee who can't even move. He's so immobile, right? Like they're both there, but because of certain traits that they have that get me excited. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, I agree with you um, that like, for a long-term play, yeah, someone with some upside is fantastic. I just think, like, realistically, if you think about it, it's like, okay, this guy's got to play now. His first read, like, I want someone who at least knows the offense to the first read, but, yeah. like, do I want a, a third-string quarterback who's got no experience and no practice time sitting back in the pocket and, and reading an NFL defense uh, in a game yeah. that I need in, in late November when he's never seen game NFL speed before, it's like, no, nah, Hey, if it's there, uh, great. If your second read is there, uh, we'll take that one. If not, just go run for eight yards and, and let's see if we can get to next week and get one of our top two guys back. Like right. I totally I, get what Tim's saying. I got a funny story here. So this is somewhat related from our friend of the show, Will Montgomery. So when Will Montgomery was in Denver, right. Um, Peyton Manning was the quarterback and they got this crazy offense in and the backup quarterback never got any reps. And so Will standing on the sideline with a quarterback coach and the OC. And the quarterback goes like, hey, man, quarterback coach goes, hey, man, like, do we need to get so-and-so any reps? The backup quarterback, like, he hasn't got any reps all season. And the OC looks at him and says, if Peyton, like, I'm going to cuss Nick, so get ready to bleep it. So if um, if Peyton goes down we're f- and we don't practice f- – and then like just went on with practice. You know what I'm saying? Like, so like right. any, any, any situation where you are, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like where you, that other guy's in, it's not ideal. Right. And you need a good backup. I just want someone who's got some ability, right? Like, so like got something that is like a little shiny in their game. So Dorian Robinson can run Tanner McKee, Tanner McKee can throw the ball 80 yards in the air. Like good. Are they, are either one of them going to be good starting quarterbacks in the NFL? It's a coin flip, probably worse than a coin flip, but that's what I'm looking for. Love it. We don't practice. F- that's, that's, <laughs> you know, like in Ted Lasso, they've got the believe sign. That's, yeah, I want right. a sign that says that <laughs> over, over the, the locker room door on the way out to practice. All right. Uh, 
big long question you got on Instagram that I'm going to distill oh, yeah. down. But it was about Howell uh, and the fact that he's inexperienced and new system, all this kind of stuff. But the, the meat of the question is this. What are players allowed to do and with whom in the offseason? And if they can't work with their offensive coaches, how do you go about learning the nuances of an offensive system without interacting with them? Uh, basically, they can't do a lot. And so, you know, when they made the new CBA, there was this push by older players to say, we don't want to be around the building as much, which makes sense because you're an older player. But when you're a younger player, like the offseason was critical, right? Because it allows you to kind of just get in the language a little bit more. So like, just to kind of show you how far it swung. When I was a rookie before the new CBA, so 2010, I had one year before the new CBA, which was 2011. If I was working out in the building, a coach could grab me and say, hey, go put your shoulder pads on. We're going to go hit the sled. And me being an undrafted free agent, I would be like, okay, like, let's go do that. And I, they could keep me out there as long as they wanted. And so obviously, like, that's a little bit extreme. But now basically they said you can't have any interaction with your coach unless it's like these six weeks of the offseason, which really hurts, in my opinion, the development of young football players. Now, the parameters for rookies is slightly different. And you can seek them out, but there are, they're very kind of um, very restrictive in terms of what you can and can't do. And I think that's one of the reasons why you see like O-linemen specifically having a very hard time to develop because O-linemen is basically just sparring, right? Like how many times do I see this hand placement? How many times do I see this line movement? And how do I move my feet and get used to that pattern to get in the right position? And that's one of the reasons why I think O-line plays, it takes them Instead of being two years out, it's now like a three to four year projection on a rookie player because of that limited offseason. And I think it's the same thing's true for quarterbacks. You just don't get the same reps. So think about it. Like when I was when I was a rookie, like you had like a bunch of OTAs, a bunch of mini camps. You had your kind of pre offseason stuff that you would do, which was like walkthroughs and stuff. So I had been exposed to the offense pretty dramatically before we even started training camp, right? And I think that for me, that was invaluable because I was like, this is what I need to do better on. This is what I need to learn more. This is the language I need to understand. So I think it's very, very restrictive. and It's very, very hard to develop young players regardless of position now. And I think that's one of the reasons why like uh, teams, so let's take Philadelphia, for example, who have coaches who can develop young talent are very, are doing well, right? Because they have people on staff that understand the importance of bringing these guys along quickly and have a methodology for getting that done. So um, with regards to the question, it's hard because there's way less time. Yeah. I honestly hate it. Um, I think, well, there, I, I think there's, there's like a middle way. It's like what it's become. Yeah, it now should be it's it's what you, what you talked about with the sled thing, like that's absurd. Yeah. Um, but there's like, I'm just going to say, I, there's probably a more delicate way to say this, but I'm just going to say it like, NFL players are paid bukus of money. Right. Like they can work more than, than half a year. And, right. you know, obviously these guys are working. That's not to say these guys don't because I certainly, as someone in the fitness space, have seen the off-season workouts that guys go through with their individual trainers, et cetera. But at the end of the day, like your team is the one paying you. And so I think it's not an unreasonable ask. Now, do I think they deserve a pretty significant break after the season? Absolutely. Um, and do you deserve another one in the summer before you enter that training camp period? 
Yes. Because once you're in season, like your life is very, very different. I mean, my life is a radio host who had to do a pregame show. Like I'm working six days a week. Like, and, and, and the physical toll of uh, talking into a microphone is very, very different. And by the end of the season, I'm exhausted. Nevertheless, what actual players have to go through are hitting and studying and, you know, working long days and, and all that stuff. But the idea that like, all you get is a couple of weeks of OTAs, like, to me, it's very silly that guys can't not nevertheless are required to be, but can't be in the building, working with coaches, having meetings like to me, it would be completely fine. And now you might want to change the pay structure because that's the other thing is like, I also understand guys get game checks during the year right. and you're not necessarily getting paid in the same way during the off season. Correct. So if the, if the NFL and the PA could f- figure out a system to take some of that money and redistribute it throughout the year. So guys are getting paid when they go to work, so to speak. Um, that's, that's a detail that needs to be ironed out. I will admit that on the front end, but the idea that, that, you know, in the middle of March or, you know, after the draft in April or May, like you only get these couple of weeks like that to me is crazy. Like these, you should be allowed to be at least in the classroom. Um, and I know there's some, but you should be allowed more time in the classroom. You should be allowed to, you know, if you're a player and you want to reach out to a coach, do that. Um, it just, to me, it's it, the restrictions. I understand why they're in place, but I think we've swung too far in the, in the restricted direction to really right. have the efficacy to develop young players and for, for players to do the work that they want to do. Right. And it's like at least the best ones. Right. And, and I, again, like the CBA, when I, in 2011 was dictated by older players. And so if I'm an older player, like I don't need to be there. I don't like near the end of my career. I didn't need to be around because I knew I could learn an offense, irrespective of where I was in about two weeks. Like I could learn the the kind of I could play off of two weeks of learning, but that took you know eight years of me learning different offenses and understanding what's important to get there. And a lot of young guys just don't know. They just don't have that capacity, you know, to kind of develop even a a system, right? So I think it's a, uh, I, I think they're, maybe it's a tiered system, maybe young guys, get, you know, they do this, rookies get there a little bit earlier before, uh, right. before uh, training camp starts, before OTA start. I think that's good, but maybe you can even tier it even more and say, hey, if you haven't, if you're a practice squad guy, if you're whatever, 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 maybe you fall into this bucket A and bucket A, you're here from this time period to this time period. And I don't know how the coaches would feel about spending all this time investing in guys who may or may not be on the team. But I do think like if you want better football teams, you need to develop a system for encouraging growth in young football players. And I think whatever that looks like, you know, I've, I've kicked around ideas like there's private facilities now that are becoming much, much more popular, like uh, Duke uh, Mannyweather's spot, O-Line University. Everyone mm-hmm. sends their guys there and Part of it is because they don't have time to develop them on their own. Does that make sense? So it's like there is this market that's been developed because players want the work. And I understand you need like a change of scenery. All that stuff's important. But players are aware of it. They know they need to keep developing. They know they need to keep improving. And it's just under the current system. Like when I talk to my strength coach buddies, uh, they're like, we are basically just trying to get them. In, like in terms of getting them stronger, that's not even on the table. It's just like getting them ready to run, jump, sprint, and hit in six weeks. And as you know, Craig, like that's not a long time to do any of that it's stuff. Not, so yeah. Um, so it's it's it is it in answer to the question. It's just very challenging. Makes it really hard, especially with a new system coming in. Uh, but I think that's one of the advantages, quite honestly, of like when a new coach comes in, you get another, an extra OTA right. because of this type of thing. So yeah, I just think there should be 
allowance for more classroom time, allowance for more walkthroughs, that kind of stuff during the spring. Um, like it's a job and, uh, yeah. you know, it's, the, there's, I think the problem is that it just gets, it gets coaches abuse it. <laughs> you know, like yes, if you say, totally. if you say, if you say you have four hours of six hours of walkthrough time a day, a lot of coaches be like, all right, we're going to walk through for six hours because we need to maximize this opportunity as opposed to say, Hey, let's get an hour, two hours, get a lift, get out of here. It's the off season. We're just kind of sprinkling in. There's no, I find that while most coaches understand the middle way, there's, you know, the Harbaugh's of the world who, when I, one of my buddies is a coach there and he told me they don't even warm up. You have to warm up on your own in the weight room before you get on the field, because that technically counts as field time. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So like you're the people, the reason it's like this is because people abuse, abuse the system. Nope. Totally, totally agreed. Totally understand. Um, you know, and if it's like, uh, Hey, it only works if the player reaches out to the coach. Like the coaches are gonna be like, "Hey, uh, make sure you send me that text message tomorrow." All right? Yeah, right. Like, right, right. and if you're a player who's fighting for your roster spot, like you're gonna send that text message you're send it. so that your yep. coach can can abuse the <laughs> the rules, like because you don't want to get cut. So, yeah, um, it's it's a fine line. I just think that we've swung like adding a couple of extra days or weeks or whatever back into the schedule seems like something that's. Uh, that's worthwhile. All right. Uh, we'll wrap there for today. Uh, there, we had a couple other ones that are on some topics. Like someone asked, uh, starting to see B. John Robinson uh, at 16 in mock drafts. Do you have thoughts on that? We do. We've just given them already in a couple of podcasts. So um, make sure that if, if you, I would highly recommend like YouTube for this, um, or if you want to try to search an Apple podcast, but um, you know, searching, searching like B. John Robinson, take command, you'll get some results. Um, and so we try to, in the descriptions and things like that, uh, have that. So it's easy to find. Uh, I know for sure on my YouTube page that we clip that, uh, there's a, there's a clip and actually Nick, I'll try to send you the link so that we can put a little card on YouTube right here. Um, and maybe put a link in the description, like how Bijan Robinson might break the NFL draft. Uh, cause we were talking about bucket breakers a couple weeks ago. And so like we've done that already. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, it's a great question. We've just answered it. And at this point we're out of time, so we're not going to answer it again today. Uh, with that, uh, we will be back later this week. Next week, I think we're going to have a very special, uh, cool, different kind of episode. Um, so I don't want to say too much before it's locked in. Uh, but one of uh, we, we might be doing a crossover episode with a, with a pretty cool group of people. So uh, that's, that's as much as I'll say for right now. But that's why you subscribe. So that no matter what we do, you get it. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, YouTube, uh, full episodes for Take Command are at 1067 The Fan clips at craig hoffman uh and that's that's pretty much all uh we'll be back later this week with more uh more draft stuff and who else knows or who knows what else is going to happen uh for logan i'm craig and we'll see you then 